Welcome to Seniors and the People Who Love Them. I'm Cookie. I'm Binky. And I'm Wendy. So let's talk about our guest speaker from our last episode. So last episode, we had a phenomenal guest from Nova Clinic, Dr. Elizabeth O'Connor. And she brought us some information related to her particular organization, her particular practice, where she's located. How do you guys like her? One thing I like, she is extremely appeared to be very intelligent woman. She has in little time, she has conquered so many steps in her life to become where she is. And the service she provides to elder people was phenomenal because she goes to people's house, help them medically, physically, emotionally, all that including her practice. And that was needed that people can go to clients' home and provide health care. Exactly. And our clinic is called Nova Family Clinic, which is located 1618 Hartford Road. And as Pinky indicated, she comes to the home and that's a service that is pretty much few and far in between. So it's such a great resource for those who have difficulty navigating their health care and particularly when they have to go back and forth to the physician's office. It's a phenomenal concept and a phenomenal service. I love to see nurses with their advanced practice because they're really filling in the gaps for the shortage of physicians that we see sometimes. So those advanced practitioners, nurse practitioners, doctors of nursing, physician assistants are really filling in those gaps. And especially in the home setting, we need them. Yes. So today we will discussing a topic that is very serious and disheartening. However, is one of that has been phenomenal in our role in the healthcare area. That topic is elder abuse. Tough topic. Yes, it is a tough topic. But before we start, we have a disclaimer. Our disclaimer for is we are neither physician or lawyer. If you have any medical or legal issue, you should seek the advice of practitioner or lawyer. All right. So let's start by defining what is elder abuse. I think in general, abuse is a term that I hear talked about a lot lately. Like I I hear this talked about maybe even overused because I just hear the term tossed around so often that if somebody's like saying something I don't like, I will label it abuse. But I think we do need to put some definitions on what abuse is because it's not just someone saying something that I don't like or saying something negative to me. The term for elder abuse, the medical dictionary for the health professions and nursing, defines it as the physical, emotional, financial exploitation of an elderly person by one or more of the person's children, nursing facility caregivers, or any others. So it is a very generalized term used to describe harmful acts toward an elderly adult that could be physical, could be verbal, 
could be emotional, psychological. It could sometimes just be the omission of care, neglect, sometimes even self-neglect. Sometimes seniors, they're not seeking medical treatment or care the way they should. Results from the National Elder Abuse Incident Study funded by the Administration on Aging suggest that over 500,000 people 60 years of age and older are abused or neglected each year in the U.S. It was also found that four times as many incidents of abuse, neglect, or self-neglect are never reported, causing researchers to estimate that as many as 2 million elderly persons in the U.S. get abused each year. I definitely believe that. Yes, and that you're talking about disheartening. So let me ask you guys something. Any idea of who the abusers were in 90% of these cases? My guess would be the people that were supposed to be taking care of them. What about you, Pink? Family members, the spouse or kid, children, they sometimes doesn't see that they are abusing their honorable parents or family member. But it's really defined the definition of abuse. Yes. So you both are correct. Most of the abusers were found to be family members, and most often the adult children or spouses of those being abused. In addition, equal numbers of men and women have been identified as the abusers. However, over the age of 80, women tend to be victimized more than men. Another question. Any idea as to the two main settings where abuse occurs? Home and nursing facilities would be my guess. Okay. What do you say, Pink? Same thing? Literally anywhere. If you look at this honorable client, they are can be abused, not in a specific setting, home or a nursing home. Uh, it's like a lot of other healthcare, senior citizen place or assistant living. Where are the honorable client setting is? So I think, as earlier Mindy told us, that abuse word is sometimes misused because I don't like so and so. I'm going to say they abuse me, which is that's why we need to make sure. What is included on definition of abuse? What you call abuse? It's not because I don't like this person or because I did not like this facility because they're asking for my money. So those different cases, we need to justify what is really the definition of abuse or what you call real abuse. That's correct. And you guys head on the answer. Domestic settings such as the elders' home or the caregiver's home and institutional settings such as nursing homes or group homes. And these are pretty much the main settings. So you kind of imply this, Pinky, both Wendy, in the beginning of the discussion. So let's talk about the five basics, basic types of abuse. And I will define each and you guys can kind of add on to it. But just let me say this, when in my role as a social worker, social services director, when I hear the word, I don't play. I mean, even if general opinion 
of everyone is that person is not being abused. The word causes the hair on my arms to stand up and I begin to do what I know I need to do now. We'll talk about that a little more, but people tend sometimes to think that those that are so vulnerable may not know exactly what's happening to them. So they may say the word abuse, we may find differently, but in my opinion, if you're speaking, let me just expound on the different types and then I won't go out on this tangent. So there's a, I mean, it's a topic that gets my crawl up, so to speak. So there's physical abuse, which which is the intent to cause bodily harm, such as hitting, slapping, striking with objects. These kinds of actions result in bruises, abrasions, fractures, broken bones, and even burns. There's also sexual abuse. Sexual abuse is any act of a sexual nature performed in a criminal manner or with a non-consenting adult. That includes rape, incest, oral copulation, penetration of genital or anal openings, unexplained bleeding around the genital area. There's also emotional or psychological abuse that is the intent to cause mental or emotional pain or injury, verbal aggression, statements that humiliate, infantilize, insults, threats of abandonment. And then, of course, there's the financial abuse, which is when large amounts of money, it doesn't even have to be large amounts, is that when money is taken from an elder's bank account, there can be a sudden change in the world, sudden disappearance of valuable items, or just the use of someone's resources without their consent. And there's also neglect. Neglect is pretty much recognized when you see bed sores on an elderly person, when there's poor hygiene, when the living conditions are unsanitary, where there are medical needs that are not attended to. There's what's called unexplained weight loss, dehydration, failure to take necessary medicines, those kinds of things are examples of abuse. But as I state, being in our field of healthcare, it's, uh, it can be a long investigation that ensues when we are told by either a family member or the resident themselves that they feel as though they're being talked, spoken to abruptly. They're, feel as though, they're feeling as though they are bullied. These are the kinds of, in my opinion, those words that can cause us to begin to pay a little more attention to some of the kinds of uh, symptoms and signs that we see of abuse. Well, sometimes I often ask why someone who is so vulnerable would be abused. So let's discuss about that, that why anybody want to hurt somebody they are so vulnerable. I mean, there's a lot of bad people in the world. I mean, we see it on the news every day that people are doing bad things. When we're talking about abuse, that abuse come within a closed circle. It's not a stranger walking on a road that's shooting with a gun. These are the people, vulnerable people, that get abused by family member or people they trust to give them a care. So they are not like 
unknown people in a society that abuse. Yes, is abuse happen all over the world. I'm not denying that. But when we're talking about abuse, that vulnerable client, that abuse happen in home situation or nursing home or a group home. I mean, just because it's our family doesn't mean it's less likely to happen. Uh, most of the violence that is perpetrated against women in the world is perpetrated by the people their spouses, their fathers, the people that are supposed to love them. So this isn't new to us. Yeah, and I think also that one of the reasons why people who are so vulnerable get abused by those individuals that we just discussed is because it's caregiver burnt out. I mean, it doesn't qualify it, but at some point in time when you, as a caregiver, are feeling unappreciated, or if your loved one is at that stage of dementia where they're not aware of some of the things that are coming out of their mouths or they themselves are physically abusive. These are those kinds of behaviors that oftentimes provoke the behaviors from the caregivers. Another reason why I think people get abused or elders get abused is because there is no other recourse for that that particular home situation. There is, they're not taking advantage of some of the other resources that would help them in the planning. You may be working 10 or 12 hours a day, and then when you're coming in, you have to do so much, and it, it causes a lashing out. And then this if you've had a family member, a mother or a dad that wasn't so nice to you in, in, in the earlier life, in your earlier life, you know what? You know now that you're the person that has to provide the care? Hmm. This could also be an influencing factor. What do you think? I, we've definitely seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And you are so right. In our previous episode, we are talked before about the use of resource that is provided in community. We also have a podcast, one that how much caregiver take a turn on themselves while they providing the care constantly. What you are saying, Cookie, it is so absolute right. And we have discussed those kind of situation on a previous podcast to get help from other community and that. And they absolutely right that the person who we trusted has some way on their back of mind. Oh, when I was young, my father was beating me up all the time. So now why do I have to be nice to them? And it comes to our case that sometime when we talk to people relative, then when we abuse case come in, we realize that loved one has some bad memory from past and that's might showing up on their abuse investigation that oh dad wasn't that nice he was alcoholic and he was beat me up all the time you are so correct on that aspect that where the abuse come from sure and even in an institutional setting when abuse happens oftentimes it's that particular patient that has rung that call bell 55 times and 
when the person who's providing the care has had it with the attitude, has had it with trying to provide care to three or four residents and that staff person is working short, it's it can be, as I stated, caregiver burnout is not only in the home, it can also be in the facility, whether the facility is an assisted living or the facility is a long-term care type of environment. I've seen a couple cases where you have somebody who's obviously should not be left alone, living at home with family, obviously should not be left alone. Definitely safety risk. They can't feed themselves. They can't get their own drink of water. Obvious reasons incontinent. And they're being left alone because there are no other resources. There's no one to take care of grandma. And they don't want to put grandma in a home for probably legitimate reasons. And so they leave grandma in in the best that they're able to do. But they leave grandma to go to work so that they can keep paying the bills. And this is like such an unfortunate situation that your heart bleeds for all these people a lot of times this is the best of intentions, but it is neglect. And our counties and cities and states just need to do a better job so that we can get the resources to folks like this that are trying to take care of their loved ones, but also have to pay the bills. And that's a situation that I see frequently is families struggling to keep it all together. Yeah. One thing that, okay, you discuss sexual abuse, and that comes out quite often because we have a male client in institution setting and female caregiver giving the care. And because even intention is not bad, good or bad, they take care of the opposite sex. And then they think that inappropriate touching and all that, it does happen at institution setting. So another situation that I find comes up so much, and it's because we're dealing with the elderly, the dying, is, you know, I'm taking care of my mom. I have three siblings. I'm giving a for instance. This isn't me. I'm taking care of my mom. I have three siblings. Mom's no longer capable of making her own decisions. And I'm taking care of her, so I should get all of her money. My other siblings aren't doing anything. They're not helping me at all. So I should be able to get all of her money because I'm the one doing all the work. Exactly. This is abuse. This, you cannot go against what that person's financial wishes were. Exactly. And that's something that you have to tread carefully with. And I just recommend that us as individuals try to put all of that in writing before we get to that point. Do it now while you're young and healthy. But also think about that. Have communication with your families and talk about what's going to be the situation. And if somebody is doing all the caregiving, come together as a family. And I know that's not always easy or possible in some families, but if it is come together and have that open communication and talk about it, because I don't think everybody is in a situation where they can drop their life and take care of somebody else. 
But I think we have the more you can open up that dialogue and talk about it as a family, the better it will be for everybody. Let's remind to our speaker that we have talked about the advanced directive and your will. Absolutely. On our previous podcast. So that give you more idea what Wendy was saying that do before it's too late. And everybody, our listener, we have that podcast before. So if you don't remember, listen again and we'll give you some idea what we are talking about, what Wendy talking about right now. And having that experience, having had that experience with my mother that you actually touched on, Wendy, when there are three or four or five siblings and everyone starts with their good intentions. So you put a plan together and we're all going to be helping and we all get assigned days. Monday, so-and-so gets this. When Tuesday, so-and-so gets that. And maybe the first two weeks, everyone is living up to their assignments. But as time continues to go on, you find out that you're pretty pretty much the main person that is providing the care. And parents, this could be wrong, but oftentimes parents have favorites. So you're doing all the hard work, but the family, your mom or grandma or whatever, is just giving the praises to the person that is the least responsible in, in, in the caregiving process. So oftentimes, you know, in our discussion of why you get to the point where you become that abuser, the resentment is there. We alluded to that, but that, that resentment is there. And the actions that may follow the resentment don't always have positive outcomes. The fact of the matter is, these are these kind of innuendos that we need to pay attention to as before we get to these late stages in our lives where we haven't done what we should have done in preparation for the later years. So I just wanted to add that. I think I have seen so many cases go wrong that I was really cognizant of that. And so I made sure that like my parents had advanced directives and powers of attorney and set up and everything because I have seen it, unfortunately, where people wait too late and now your loved one isn't competent to sign that kind of paperwork or make those kind of decisions. And now your family is really kind of in a tight spot and things aren't settled and things aren't planned out. And that's not great. It doesn't feel great for people. All right. So now that we have discussed what abuse is, and why we feel that elders get abused and the different types, let's discuss what happens when abuse is suspected. We'll first discuss it from a facility setting. If abuse is witnessed in an assisted living or a nursing home setting, this is what the protocol is. Whoever, we're all mandated reporters and whoever finds the abuse if you're witnessing it, you have to put a stop to it immediately. Make sure that person is in a safe environment. You have to report the abuse to a supervisor. Then the facility follows the protocol for what happens next, depending on what has occurred. You might need to call the police. You might need to report the abuse to the proper authorities, continue with the investigation. Frequently, we have to inform the Office of Healthcare Quality 
and the ombudsman, which we had an ombudsman on an earlier episode. This is part of their role that they play. And the result of the investigation could mean disciplinary action for staff if staff were involved. I've seen residents get evicted from their or discharged from their setting if they were the abuser. I've seen a lot of different scenarios. I know you have too. And that is so right. One thing I wanted to add to what Wendy says, that when we suspect the abuse, the person who are abuser would not allow for at so many days or whatever time take to investigate properly the abuse. And that is also requirement or government has mandated that until investigation completed, the abuser should not be working at that particular institute and facility. Yeah, it's pretty typical to suspend someone pending an investigation, typically three days or or however long it takes. And if the investigation finds that there was no abuse, then you bring that person back. Generally, the company will reimburse the employee for missing that amount of time. I'm sure every policy is different, but that is, and it's really hard also for the staff. Like if you've been accused of something and it turns out that there was no abuse found, it's hard for a staff member to have that. But I think it's happened to us all in one way or another. We've all gotten concerns or complaints or people that aren't happy with the care that's provided. So I think it's something that you just have to take with a grain of salt when you're in the industry. And that is very true. Now we're going to discuss the abuse that happened on home setting. Report the abuse to the person authorities as soon as possible. This authority could mean the local police department, adult protective service, or the office of aging in your community. If you feel that someone you know being abused, then you are probably right. Act on it as soon as possible. The adult protective service, caseworker, our office, and frontline when it comes to elderly abuse. APS screen calls, keep information uh, confidential, and if it's necessary, sends the caseworker out the investigation. So... It's like if you feel in your gut, as Miss Ku said previously, that grow her hair up. If you feel that person is abused, you need to act right away because abuse is something you don't take lightly. Because as you say, who knows? There's so many types of abuse and so many ways people can get be abused. And sometimes it's person who's abuser don't think they're abusing because they always take care of mom. Oh, I always talk to my mom and she always cry, but now she's vulnerable. So maybe when she was alert and oriented and you were talking to her a certain ways, she might able to respond to you back at that time. But now is the time that she's not, she's vulnerable. So you need to keep in 
those kind of situation also in mind that abuse can happen emotionally, physically, and it is very, very difficult subject to talk about in healthcare. To add what you have touched on, Pinky, I have been in situations in the facility setting where someone states to me that something happened two hours ago or they witnessed something yesterday or whatever and didn't follow through on it. And so people have to be mindful that you just don't wait when you are witnessing or you're hearing something or your your patient or your resident is saying something to you. You don't disregard it. You just have to act on it as soon as possible because if there is that abuse occurring, it could happen again. So we don't want to leave our patient, our resident in, in such a vulnerable state. Now, as a social services director, I have been informed in my planning of the discharge that a family member may say, have said, has said to me, I know auntie so-and-so or grandma is getting ready to go home, but I don't think that environment is is safe for him or safe for her to go. I think that it's not going to be a good place for them to continue to recover. So if they're already in a, uh, a safe environment when they're in the facility, I am limited in terms of what I can do when they are out. So when someone leaves the facility and I get that information, and I might inquire a bit. I may say, well, what do you mean? You don't think it's safe or you don't think it's it's a good environment. What are your examples of that? And they'll say, well, the house is always dirty and she has a bunch or he has a bunch of children coming in and out and they're taking her money and so forth. To the extent where from a facility perspective, they have reached their goals and they are safe to go back into the community based upon the care services that we have provided, then my role is to just inform Adult Protective Services of what I have been told. And we talked about what happens in the community. So Adult Protective Services is another resource just to make sure that once they are out of our facility, out of our group home, out of our nursing home, out of our assisted living, then there is still a follow through that can occur. I've seen patients, competent patients, choose to go back into an abusive environment because they don't have what they feel is any other choice. They don't want to be in a nursing facility. Yes. They don't want to think about something different. So they actually choose to go back to an abusive environment. And it is disheartening to see that. It really is. And like you said, our hands are tied because people have the right to make those choices. And all we can do at that point is make an APS case, which is, it's really sad. I wish I could say I've only seen that once, but it's, I've seen it more times. Oh yeah. And I've actually had to inform that particular person, the resident, the patient has been discharged what I've been told. 
and not to cause any kind of problems in the home or so forth. But, you know, as you stated, when they, they deny, oh, no, so-and-so, that's not right. I want to go back. And people have the right to make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. We've made bad decisions sometimes our entire life when it comes to certain circumstances. But we just don't take that lightly. We do try to do the best that we can in our follow through. But at that mm-hmm. point, it's up to the Department of Social Services to adult protective services. So I just wanted to make that known. And I do think some social services are overwhelmed right now. Oh, yes. And I think not everybody's city APS is great. And you and now guest speaker some uh, a while back who was navigating services in the rural environment mm-hmm. and imagine how long that process would be in terms of the follow through. It, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. So uh, any more comments, any more feedback, any more personal situations that we want to share before we take a break? I guess what I'd like to say is that what should someone do if they feel like their loved one is being abused? What would you recommend they do right now? That depends upon where they are when the abuse is happening. If it's in the facility environment, you know that there is protocol, there's follow-through. If they're at home, then I would recommend that they call the Adult Protective Services and be confidential. Adult Protective Services can be a confidential resource. You don't have to say who you are, but you just need to make it, it known. Because if it were me... And I was told, even if I were not in this role, would haunt me. I would be bothered when someone tells me that something abusive is going on in a particular home environment. So you have some anonymity. You are able to Mm -hmm. make that referral and you just leave it up to the professionals to follow through. If it's somebody that is very close to you, say, for example, a neighbor next door, there's opportunities to check on that neighbor. Go see that person. Get involved. Get involved. Don't just shrug your shoulders and say, it ain't my business. Or don't be intimidated by the individuals you think that that are doing the abuse. You just need to pay attention. If you have seen some of those signs, like the person has some type of abrasion or the person You've seen marks on that person. This is information you present to the person that the resources, the APS. But you can also involve the local police department. You can call the police department and say, hey, I know it's not my business, but hey, I think Ms. So-and-so has such address. I think someone needs from the department needs to come and check. Do a wellness check. Yep. That person out to follow through. Yeah, do a wellness check. There there are several things. Perhaps you can use the you can use whatever resources that are out there in terms of if it's a member of a church that you go to and you notice that during attendance of the service that a, a person is coming in this this not looking well or being looking haggard or not dressed appropriately or not smelling correctly there just do a wellness check become involved that's what some of the things that that i suggest and if you're in a facility hospital any kind of company 
and you report abuse, you should see immediate actions taken. Exactly. They should immediately be able to tell you what the plan is, how they're going to ensure that your loved one is kept safe. I agree. So let's take a break and we will come back with some medical terminologies from Pinky and of course, Pinky's joke. everybody we're gonna need to lighten the mood up here a little bit so pinky i hope you have a good joke for us i don't know but i will try my best (laughs) but let's go with the terminology first yes i have some of them r o s c return spontaneous circulation r e a road traffic accident s p r Speciality register, E-C-I, to come in, R-N-L-D, learning disability nurse. Okay, interesting. Great. This is the part of our podcast where we review any feedback or questions received and give you some resources if you need to continue your research. We thank everybody so much for listening. Our audience continues to grow. I was checking us out, and it just seems like we're in a niche that nobody else is in. So there's not a lot of podcasts like us out there that are talking about these topics. So I would love to see our audience grow. A couple of the resources we used was the Administration on Aging, which is the Elder Rights and Resources, Elder Abuse Administration on Aging. There's also in Maryland, there's a Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program through the Baltimore County Department of Aging. Most states have ombudsman programs. So if you just like Google ombudsman program for wherever you are, Middlesbrough, Kentucky, or California, you should be able to find something. There is the SAFE helpline. That phone number is 410-843-7571. There is Senior Legal Services, which is 410 396-1322. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future topics, please visit our website. We ask that you subscribe to our upcoming episodes by visiting www.seniorscast.com. Our episodes are released every other Tuesday morning. You can also email us on seniors at seniorscast.com or Google seniors and the people who love them, or you can even find us on Facebook. Also give our podcast a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We didn't get Pinky's joke. So we're ready for it, Pinky. Yes, I'm about to tell my joke. I hope you enjoy I need it. Okay. The church had a marriage seminar, and the priest asked Louis, as his 50th wedding and anniversary approached to share some insight into how he managed to stay married to the same woman all this year. Luigi replied to his audience, well, I tried to treat her well and spun him on her. But the best thing I did was take her to Italy for our 20th anniversary. 
the priest says, Luji, you are inspiration to all husbands here today. Please tell the audience what you plan for your wife for your 50th anniversary. Louis proudly replied, I'm going to go and get her. I heard that one somewhere. I got it. <laughs> I think I heard that one somewhere. Oh, you did? Oh. Maybe I did, but it's something similar. So until next time, I am Cookie. I'm Pinky. And I'm Wendy. Bye-bye. Night, Bye -bye. everybody. Bye -bye.